Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast and fantabulous Chelsea Mahat. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. My co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about making organizational change stick. I imagine when you try to make changes in the organization, it can be very difficult from the top down and from the bottom up. And we'll be talking about ways to make it more easy for yeah. you to do that. I mean, it's just like hard enough to make the change to begin with. That could be a podcast in itself, I guess. But to make it actually stick and last is, is another thing entirely, especially if, you know, maybe you move on to a different team or what have you. Like, how do you ensure that that continues on? and makes a lasting impact on everyone. It's glue, guys. You use glue. Elmer's glue. The good old-fashioned Elmer's glue. Bring that with you to the client. (laughs) Sticky change. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the scale of changes that we would want to make in an organization. Let's start small in this particular example. Well, there's like little stuff that you would do on an individual team. Right, right, right. right. Like making your stand-ups shorter or... Getting people to pair more. Right. I mean, those are those are like really, really small or team-based, maybe even just like individuals within the team. It could be something one-on-ones, like having more one-on-ones is something that you would have with just an individual on the team. And then making stand-ups more efficient by making them shorter could be a way to make the entire team participate in this change. Then we can go higher up from the team and then like the entire... Or maybe the department. Do you have any ideas of like the department changes you would want to influence? Yeah, I mean, within tech and product, having better agile practices like doing planning meetings, doing retros, that kind of thing. Yeah, like just having a clearer vision about where you're going with things, like to avoid, you know, changing directions too often or maybe not having a direction at all, making a lot of like little, little things happen at once. Yeah, focus, getting into a groove and, and sticking with a particular course. It's that word again, stick, bring the glue. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there are certain organizations that may not like bode well with trust, but I feel like that is something that that's a change that you as the individual should definitely influence your team and your company to trust each other and getting the work done. Because like a lot of the times you could be at a place that just like, get this out now don't stay till nine o'clock or whatever. And trust is very, very important, which is like a change that should happen company-wide. Yeah, that's that's pretty challenging. Like trust in particular, I mean, this is kind of a digression, but like you need to give trust in order to get trust. And right. like, how do you even do that? How do you hit the reset button? Like, how do I, yeah, I have to trust you and you have to trust me. So we'll trust together as a team and as a company. Yeah, but then, you know, even if you do make that, a big leap to actually get the trust then how do you deal with the fact that like it may not stick like it, it may you know lose lose some energy or like you, you may like kind of start to fall back to your old way of, of doing things well i think it's like the trust between two individuals would it be able like if someone is falling back to old habits or like doing things incorrectly i keep thinking you guys are going to start talking about trust falls no, no, I mean, <laughs> well, it's kind of like you got to catch him. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. If you don't re- catch him, it doesn't it work. It doesn't work. You got to <laughs> catch Bobby when he falls back. But like, if someone is like, you know, breaking or doing something wrong, you have to have enough trust in the other individual to call you out on it. 
And the other individual has to have enough trust to be able to call you out on something. And that way, like the respect and trust that happens with that will ultimately lead to like honest feedback that will make the team better. Which again, I mean, the only way it works is if you catch the person who's falling. If you don't, that person's going to be highly upset. I have a theory about how to build trust. I think that there are really two key ingredients. One of them is respect. You have to genuinely respect the other person. And that can be hard. You know, sometimes you have to find something, some particular way that you can respect them without having to, you know, like them or be able to tolerate them as a human. And then the other is having a common goal. You need to actually be working toward a common goal. If you are working at opposing goals, then there is no reason to trust the other person because they are not on your team. Right. Yeah. That's but a this good point. Is, this is kind of a tangent. Yeah. Just having that like alignment among teams, like among different parts of the organization to make sure that they're again, like heading in the right direction together. Right. So like if you are in dev and your goal is to ship features and your colleague is in ops and his goal is to maintain a stable environment, you guys are working at us. So you have to appeal to some higher objective. I think we talked about this on another podcast. So like, for example, doubling the size of the user base. That's the thing that both people can get behind. You know, dev is going to contribute by adding the feature and ops is going to contribute by keeping things stable, but they're going to have to work together in order to double the number of users. Doing one or the other is not enough to get there. Right. Right. Sometimes you, you get into a situation where there's like conflicting goals where it's like, I want to double the number of users as well, but I can't double the number of users because I need to replace the database because everything's going to explode if we do that. So there, there's like kind of times when, you know, things are not going to align completely, but you still need to have some, some trust across the team. You guys are touching upon a particular roadblock that can happen when you're trying to influence an organizational change. And that is like making sure that your team is aligned with your goals and what you're trying to change. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. You need buy-in. Right. Do you guys have any other roadblocks that you guys have seen on the field? in terms of changing something within the organization? I mean, I guess like if the if the team structure changes, like if you have people that are like really stalwart believers in the change and then they move to a different team or they leave the company, then that can leave a vacuum that, you know, could result in more change and maybe not the change that you ideally wanted. Yeah, right. you need to build a coalition because there are always going to be allies and there are always going to be detractors. And if you don't manage the detractors, then your initiative is doomed to fail. So, you know, like one thing you can do that I think is really effective is meet with people one-on-one before you meet with them in a group. So if you meet with them in a group, then the detractors can hijack the whole conversation. If you meet with people one-on-one, you can use different approaches to present the vision and make sure that everybody sees it fully before they meet all together. And then everybody comes prepared and has enough perspective to be able to really debate the thing on its merits. And right. the your allies in pushing for that change are better prepared to push back against the points that the naysayers have. Right, yeah. And you can also just... It's easier to have a conversation when you're one-on-one and you're kind of doing that kind of, I mean, I guess it's networking like as a technical term, but like it's more intimate than that. You're trying to like get an understanding for what their opinions and feelings on a topic are and, you know, see maybe if you understood the problem correctly and if the solution that you have in mind may, may be the right one. 
Yeah, and some people might have a very specific concern that you could address with them offline, and then it doesn't have to come up in the big conversation and detract from the from the vision because you address it beforehand, and then other people know the answer. Yeah, oh, pretty easy for things to like snowball and small concerns to become larger. So the one-on-ones are very effective in trying to find out a who are the allies and who are what was the word you used, William? Naysayer, detractor. The detractor. And then you can also, as you guys mentioned, find out why they're detracting to the idea in the first place to figure out like whether it's honest or uncomfortable for the individual to participate in whatever change you're trying to make. Right. And like by by building a network like that, then there's there's no single person that if they if they leave, then that idea and change goes with them. Like you can you can have a broader support for it in the organization. Right. I feel like in the one-on-one example you guys provided, I find it like if I want to influence a change within the team, I would have to find the person with the most influence within the team and get that person's buy-in. And like Dave, as you mentioned, that's probably like the beginning of the snowball that happens because you get, you get someone who like as consultants, you have to build up trust. But if you, if you can influence the person with the most trust along the team to agree with you, then like everyone would, you know, kind of move forward in that direction in that change. Yeah, definitely. I really like this one talk by Esther Derby about six rules for change, right. which kind of goes through a lot of the things that we're, we're talking about here. And I guess like one of the things that she talks about is like understanding the situation for what it is and like what kind of changes are possible. I see. And also realizing that you're not going to be able to make the big bang change that you want to make. You might need to make incremental changes and make sure that it's diffused through the organization as you're going. Interesting. So by having like small victories will lead into the big change, but you can't just go and expect to change everything all at once. Right. You can't just be like, okay, trust everyone now. (laughs) (laughs) You must trust everyone now, starting now. And fall. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who's catching? No. No. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So I think you mentioned that there were six steps and that was one of many of just like gaining trust in small, small yeah, I, wins. I really smushed all the steps together, but we can, oh, no, we can discreetly go through some of the no, steps. No. <laughs> I think we've been talking about it and then you bringing up the Esther Derby article definitely reflects a lot of that, which is like, you know, building trust and respecting people's ideas and figuring out ways to get these small victories so that you have a backlog of victories. So when you do have changes... It comes from someone who has done some incremental changes and positive effects to the team and to the company. Right. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you guys seen when trying to influence change? I think people tend to declare victory too soon. It's really easy to get excited about the progress that you've made and, you know, have a toast, throw a party, and yeah. it, it turns into a great opportunity for detractors to come in and say, ah, oh, wonderful, we've succeeded, let's move on and focus our attention on other things. And then right. <laughs> little, does anybody notice that we roll back? Right, yeah. I mean, going back to like the stand-up example, it's really easy to, you know, move that thing by measuring it, right? Like as, as they say, so you get out a timer, you measure it, 
you get down to like a pretty low score. You're like, all right, this is, this is the fastest standup we've ever had. Right. We've declared victory. Let's move on. And then, you know, before you know it, like you're back to like a 15 minute stand up or what have you. <laughs> oh, standing for 15 minutes is no bueno. <laughs> planking updates. Yeah. Planking. I, I like that idea. Like whenever you give an update, you need to plank. Has that been an organizational change you've made within a company? <laughs> <laughs> Can I, man, it's always a threat. I think. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you want to do it? That's the thing. You know, I would love to plank like, and, and I can give us, I can give a short update. Do you really think that you could hold a plank for like three minutes though, while your entire team gives an update? No, not the entire. Oh, for the entire team. Yeah. No. You got to be planking while other people are giving their updates. That's like maybe you get a 45 second stand up. Yeah. You're planking <laughs> the whole time. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought like it would just be each person planking for the duration of their update. Yeah. So if they don't want to plank for that long, then <laughs> they can, they need to go quickly. I see. And maybe like, you know, your average developer's plank is going to be 45 seconds, like at best. <laughs> <laughs> like, unless they're like a yoga master. Right. Like, I, I think we have some yoga masters. Yeah. Right <laughs> I'm definitely not one of them. And that is not an organizational change I'm going to make anytime soon. I am a certified yoga master and I cannot plank for 45 <laughs> seconds. Oh, no. I got to get that cord strength. <laughs> All right. So I have to figure out. So I got a one on one with every individual on my team and tell them that planking during stand-up is the way to go. <laughs> Got to find some people who are who are really excited for that because they're also tired of 15-minute stand-ups and they're looking for a healthy lifestyle. I can get that person's buy-in and one-on-one with each other individual figure out who are the name are the detractors of this, which is big, big me. Yeah, including yourself, right? <laughs> which, which may be a challenge in itself. Because, like, in order to make a change, you need to like respect what you want yeah, too. If you don't want it, then it's gonna be like hard to sell it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a really difficult sell. But like, I mean, it's really int- even as I'm going through like this example that is kind of wacky. Like the steps you have to take are, you know, figure out someone. It's not just like, oh, I want to make this change and I'm going to make this change in this company. You have to kind of speak to everyone, see if everyone's okay with it, why they're okay with it, why were they not? Because in the end, everyone has to abide by it. And if you want your, you know, planking stand up to exist after you, you have to make sure that everyone's interested in doing it in the first place. Yeah, I think this is a really common pitfall is underestimating the size of the coalition that's necessary in order to make the change happen. You need to shop your idea around to a bunch of people to work out all the kinks and then only then create a vision that you can pitch to people and really sell it and create periodic wins that you can point to to maintain that organizational momentum. I mean, for a thing like stand-up, I don't think it's that hard because you really only have to affect one team. But if you're right. working at like a, you know, a 10,000 person company, you have to get buy-in around a massive initiative, like, I don't know, rewriting your entire code base. Right. Yeah. You really need buy-in from the top down. Like it has to be very clear what benefits are going to be there from the business and the technical side. Like you need a CTO who's going to be willing to really go to bat and take the hit for for that kind of initiative. You can't kind of waffle on it. And the people who report to them need to be on board with it, and the people who report to them need to be on board with it, and so on all the way down. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I do think the... the I mean, it to me, it sounds really like if you work at a 
person, company, it sounds like, oh my God, you're so far away from the CTO to make this organizational change. But I'm going circling back into that as a Derby article, like if you have the small wins within the team in like, you know, refactoring or restructuring the application, then the entire company will see that this team is progressing very well and the changes that are happening. And it starts from the bottom up and then like works its way up down at the same time because, you know, you get, you're seen by your company your CTO or whatever, and they see you, the team is doing a good job because of these changes. So when you ask for a refactor of a particular part of the code base, they're like, oh yeah, these, this team has been rocking or like this particular product needs a new facelift and this is the perfect team to take care of it. And I think like, you know, don't be discouraged by how far you would have to go to make the change. Every small victory leads to that really big one. Yeah, I see a lot of rewrites in industry. I think, you know, we're we're just bad at, as an industry, we are bad at writing software that's going to last forever, probably because that's just not a thing that you can ever really do. Right. I mean, I guess there are some mainframes in finance that are still running on COBOL. Oh, but if they could, they would totally rewrite it if they weren't like terrified of that change. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you go to rewrite a massive piece of software for a very large company, what you're talking about is an initiative that's going to last for literally years. Yeah. And that's just a different mindset. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's like setting a new base for the future. Like, are you writing a Greenfield app or are you writing a new, someone else's, like tomorrow's Brownfield app. Right. It's <laughs> just like Brownfield 2.0. Oof. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is people are like, okay, so we, we know we need to do it. So let's just do it. And we make, we, you know, we'll set up a team and that team will be sheltered from all the, all of the other responsibilities that engineering normally has. And we'll have them just go off and rewrite this thing. And lo and behold, six months into a three-year project, everybody has lost the stomach because there's demand for those engineers in other places and everybody's got their own, you know, rice bowl they're trying to protect. You know, X department needs Y feature and Z manager has, you know, items one, two, and three that still need to get checked off. Right. Yeah, it is very, very extensive when you have to, at the end of the day, so that change is very impactful to the organization. That's why I think you need those periodic wins. Right. Because if people aren't seeing real tangible progress that has an impact on the business in a meaningful way, adds real value in the short run and periodically all the way through completion, then you'll you'll never make it to the finish line. Right. Yeah, that's true. Although I guess in the end, you really need to accept that change is going to happen no matter what. And it's just a matter of directing that change to something that you, you prefer. Like that's just agile. Perfect way to close off our particular talk on change. <laughs> it's going to happen. You're just changing the topic. Yeah. Well, well accept it. It has to happen. It's happening fall now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Do we have any teaching learns that we have today? Yeah. I, I've been learning a bit and teaching a bit about Apollo 2.0, which just came out of beta like in the past couple of weeks dave just did a really killer lunch and learn i was there oh nice yeah that was fun i guess that was a lot of learning (laughs) and a bit of lunch too yeah (laughs) yeah so we are working with a new app that's going to connect to graphql apollo is a graphql client Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, they completely changed the API for how things are laid out. Like you used to have network interfaces and now you have this concept of a link object that you're passing in. And it's definitely for the better. It's like React Router three to four. Right. They, they completely changed everything. You had to like screw your head on again. But you know, <laughs> yeah. after you go through it, it's it's pretty cool. There's yeah. a lot of nice features. Nice. Awesome. I need to do some research on Apollo myself. It just sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's dope. My learn, because I don't think I've done a Git revert in a very, very long time. Just that's, writing perfect code yeah, all the time. I mean, that, that's exactly, exactly what happened. Made my first mistake ever. Yeah, when, when you hire me, you get someone who has no idea about Git. No, no, seriously. Uh, I didn't realize that Git revert actually makes a commit in itself rather than deleting the thing that you are reverting. I don't know. Like It's just like... Yes, revert. Just cha- makes the change that you want to not change. And then you can revert the revert. And, and the client that I'm in, we reverted a revert that was reverted. And yeah, it's just like, keep doing it. Keep it, it going. Yeah, it's the eternal cycle. On and off, on and off. And like, I was like, oh, that's pretty, pretty interesting to, you know, because preserving the Git history is important in case you want to cherry pick any of the changes that you want or just an idea of like to get bisect. I'm naming all these other commands on Git that I do know. But <laughs> just to prove, just didn't realize. I know, <laughs> but I didn't realize that revert does another commit, and yeah. it was pretty. I don't know. I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing you could do. Yeah, I honestly didn't use it that much myself until you know we we practiced trunk based development for a little while, mm. and when you're just committing on master all the time, like it's not an option. You you can't rewrite the history. You can't delete the branch because right. the, the branch is master. Exactly. You, <laughs> you don't want to delete master when master is the branch. Yeah, you can't rewrite the history there. So you got to do the revert of the revert of the revert. Yeah, it's like oh. feature flags by version control. There you go. That's, <laughs> oh, like, that's what it was. That's what it felt like. Cool. Closing the episode, I'd like to thank my co-host. Thanks for coming on down, Dave. Thanks, Mike. And our producer, William. Thank you. Absolutely. Good to be here. Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com slash Radio Free Rabbit. I'm Michael Nunez, and this is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time.